Hello and welcome to Lord Clark and Friends, episode number six. Tonight's episode is a conversation between Lord Clark and Lord Cran on the events in the news happening before the presidential debate on October 6th, 2008. To start off today with uh, talking about uh, O.J. Simpson finally getting convicted um, and basically uh, noticing that he got convicted in a Nevada court, not a California court. Um, also noticed that... Uh, you know, he's, you know, all those uh, juices loose kind of jokes are now kind of over. I'm going to miss the, uh, still missing the old Hertz commercials with OJ uh, running through the airport, uh, running for his life. Um, I guess now he's going to be behind bars uh, doing that. Um, well, he may be running in a different way. Yeah, let's hope he doesn't drop the soap because then he'll be running for his life. Um but uh, so OJ is behind bars, at least uh, for the near term, as we can see, as he wouldn't, wasn't released on bail. You want to do a breakdown of the different charges they got him on? I don't even know what they got him on. I know they've got him on kidnapping and a few other charges. Um, do you remember any of the other charges? I just remember the kidnapping thing. And, you know, as much as I, I don't necessarily like what he's done, I'm kind of curious as to why kidnapping gets a life sentence. I'm not sure he gets a life sentence. I think he carries a possible life sentence is what I was reading. Um, Wouldn't a life sentence be the fullest extent of the law? Yeah, it would be, but I I have my strong doubts that he's going to get slammed with the fullest extent of the law. So what does that say about Nevada? I mean, do they not operate to the fullest extent of the law? Well, he hasn't gone into sentencing yet, so we don't really know how long his sentences are going to be. We just know he's been convicted. So it's not, you know, he's just has to, the only thing is, is now that he's been convicted, judge decided to hold him over until sentencing uh, without bail. So he got remanded to jail immediately. Aren't they supposed to do the sentencing before the trial? Uh... I don't know. That's the way we think things work, but <laughs> I guess I guess in in Nevada they uh, actually do the sentencing after trial. They request what type of sentence he he can get before the trial. Right. They don't don't actually sentence him till the trial, till after the trial and so sentencing phase. Which I don't understand why they don't sentence him immediately after being found guilty. Why do you have to wait to be sentenced? I think they got this due process thing going on. Uh, maybe that's part of it. Could be. I don't know. <laughs> well, this, this is, you know, you're talking about a state that harbors, uh, you know, gambling at its best and right. has really desert, right? Oh, yeah. And prostitution is legal in Nevada. That too. So, you know, you've got got some options there i guess i mean maybe there's a, a tie-in between that and law enforcement directly could be yeah. and i could understand why kidnapping would be such, very such a high charge in that state especially when thinking about how much money flows through that state and gambling and other activities that you'd want to make sure that you could make it on something like, you know that if somebody actually tried something like that that they would have a carry a heavy penalty to go along with it. 
Yeah, but I mean, here, here in Mass, in the Commonwealth, uh, as, as one would say, in the uh, communist wealth. Oh, sorry, in, in the Commonwealth, and where you know whatever. Um, <laughs> No, I believe the corruption is limited to downtown, like, you know, Beacon Hill. Whereas I think in other states, they sort of spread it around, like, the whole state, you know, so it's it's pervasive. It's, you know, it's evenly distributed. Well, I don't know if it's limited to Beacon Hill. I have to say pretty much every city in town has its own corrupt officials. Um, but... Yeah, it's basically limited into government here in Massachusetts. Right. See all the all the all the corrupt people and all of the uh everybody's just tied to the political system here. So just get it all out of the way in one area. Well, you know, I, I think this is an interesting but slightly off topic segue, but right. we're talking about corruption and I can't help but to think you know, I've been watching uh, True Blood on uh, HBO. Oh, so haven't I. The show about vampires and yes. in the South. And, yes. You know, the, the B, which is vampire blood, it's kind of like a drug. You know, yeah. I, I think it's terribly exciting, uh, at least somewhat interesting, and it makes for great, uh, you know, watching, even though the, the show itself is like, you know, it tries to string you along. I mean, you don't yeah. have a continuous topic it's just sort of like well you'd have a topic but it's like an old-fashioned serial i mean you know you have a cliffhanger at the end of the show and what happens next kind of stuff so i think well you know we do have vampires and corruption at the state and local level at least in the public perception of our government but <laughs> we don't have quite the cliffhangers because we kind of know what's going on i mean it's just sort of a compare and contrast thing on my part oh that's an interesting compare and contrast because uh, you know i mean we have representatives from massachusetts like barney frank um yeah. you know run male prostitution rings out of their houses uh it's kind of you know and then but we it, still re-elect oh. them so <laughs> But in the eyes of local government, that's really a misdemeanor. We can look the other way for that. Right. Well, basically, he's, you know, he championed bailout. He really did. And he said, everything's fine. Yeah. And uh, I guess he had a nice little interview recently on O'Reilly. Oh, yeah. Uh, that Was it O'Reilly? Bill O'Reilly? Some Riley guy. Yeah, the O'Reilly fact. I, I, my boss actually brought that up to me, and uh, he showed me the uh, video clip of it. Yes, from some website. I think yeah. it was Drudge Report or something, uh, where O'Reilly was interviewing on the O'Reilly Factor, uh, Fox News, uh, was interviewing um, Barney Frank here, and they just kept on arguing, and Frank wouldn't give up his position. And I think the big thing I learned from that was Barney Frank is really trying to bail out his friends here. You know, Barney Frank is one of the biggest receivers of money from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Right. And, like, I knew this guy was corrupt to begin with because I'm from Massachusetts and you just know Barney Frank's corrupt. Yeah. Um, but, but the thing is, if you, you, you put, like, a loose cannon like this uh, O'Reilly guy yeah. and it almost makes Frank look credible. And I don't like that. I mean, I don't like oh, yeah. seeing, you know... 
Frank look like a sane guy because he's not. I mean, it's. It, I mean, you can even look past the fact that he mumbles and you can't understand half of what he says. But the other half of it is like when we actually do hear what he says, we don't want to hear what he's saying. That's true. Because <laughs> he doesn't make any sense or he's just saying something that's truly bad for the economy. <laughs> or just bad for people in general. I mean, forget Very the economy. True. Yeah, he's just bad for... Are bad for Massachusetts taxpayers, or bad for Massachusetts in general, uh, usually is something he's spouting out of his mouth. So I guess there was a defense I had heard about him that he actually does bring money, earmark money, back into the state in a fairly good rate. But some of the ideas and beliefs he wants to just scare me. And well, you know, see, there is only one thing that I think. He actually teamed up with Ron Paul a while back, and wow. it was the only thing I actually heard good out of his mouth. And they were they were sort of teaming up on the marijuana issue, whether or not it should be federally um, legal or yeah. illegal or whatever. And, you know, it, I think that the take on it, because in general you wouldn't have Ron Paul agreeing with him, but I guess the take on it is what people do – on their own, in their own privacy of, of their own home, so long as no right. one else is getting hurt, and yada, yada, yada. Um, it's almost like Ron Paul went along with it because it represented a um, putting a leash on government in, in your everyday life. Right. And, and So I guess I wish I had the details of it, you know, handy, but I don't. But, uh, I guess if, if one of our listeners would like to chime in about this issue, I mean, it is a hot topic, but it's more, you know, such like a pot doing, pardon the pun, but, you know, stirring the pot right. <laughs> type of issue because <laughs> you've got people on, I mean, you look at Barney Frank, he's an extreme liberal. You look at Ron Paul, he is an extreme conservative. You know, um, whether you like him or not, he is conservative and he is consistent. And, you know, you, you hear both ends of it. It's like, well, this is one of the most bizarre, you know, team up. Whereas, you know, you look at almost a unilateral bailout, like, oh, well, everybody agrees, even though we're all in trouble from it. Yeah, and that bailout scales, scares me. But it's, it's rather interesting to see uh, the two points of view on this topic that you're talking about, this marijuana topic, that both sides of the extreme sides actually come together. But they're not for the same reason. Right, which is really <laughs> weird. Yeah. Um, just strange to me. Yeah. Uh, but yet, I kind of agree with Ron Paul's reasoning in the fact that it, the bringing it up or making it free in the use of your own, you know, in the inside your own home kind of thing is a uh, very protect the citizens' rights. And I really like that kind of thinking. Yeah. Um, well, the topic's coming up for the uh, election in November, uh, at least on the state level. Right. You know, they're talking about decriminalizing, and decriminalizing is a step, stepping stone to legalization. And obviously, you know, it. the thing is, it flies, not only does it fly against, you know, uh, 
okay, all of the no-tolerance policies that the fascist, liberal fascists have put in place, but it flies against the fact that, oh, well, yeah, we're going to tell you what to do. We're going to control your lives. We're going to, you know, we're going to act as your mommy. We're going to be the mommy state, and mommy knows best. Mommy doesn't want a bunch of people running around on drugs. But on the other hand, you could also look at it. I mean, I mean, this is from sort of my cynical point of view is, well, with the possibility of an Obama administration coming up, I think it's probably best to, you know, start on the drugs if you already have them. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about starting on the drugs, but... Um... Not that I'm actually endorsing, uh, think the, but, but the, the logic in an extreme brought to its logical conclusion would right. suggest, hey, if you haven't tried it before uh, and times are looking really bad, maybe it wouldn't hurt so much. Right. But I think you're bringing up a really interesting point here. We're seeing the two sides of the liberal face come out. You've got the the side which is liberal, everything goes Everything's on the table. Nothing matters. You know, I should be able to do anything I want to do. It's my life. I should be able to ruin it. Um, right. You know, those liberals. And on the other side, you were talking about the mommy liberals who, we have to protect the children. Liberals. You know, what about the children? We have to protect them. So we have to basically organize your life into compartments and make everything so organized that you have no freedom. Um, right. And if we have to do that by enacting laws, uh, you know, security checks, false senses of security, we're going to do it. Right. Um, well, I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you say that also the, the bailout is kind of along those lines too? Because... You know, the, the uh, Federal Reserve needs to tuck us, be- tuck us in bed at night to let us know that our securities, our retirements, our savings, that they're all safe? Well, yeah. Uh, all I've seen after that bailout is my savings go downhill fast. Well, uh. you know, I, I, now, now, I want to be realistic about this, okay? Anybody who doesn't, which is the majority of people who do not believe in the bailout, if they, if you don't trust the government to bail you out, you're pulling your money out of the market anyhow. If you can't, so you know it's almost like even though you don't directly have any way to vote, right? The impact of pulling our money out of the market will force the market to fail, will force the economy to collapse because we don't like these actions. So I think people are voting with their dollars. You know, by pulling everything out of out of the banking system, and you know, I mean, as crazy as it might have sound months ago, where people were saying, "Well, you know, we should really put all our money in gold." Well, you know, it's not so crazy anymore. It really isn't because it's safer than the dollar. Well, is it? Um, well, all right. Let's say it isn't gold, okay? And uh, I've got gold up here. Gold has uh, been. Hammered just as much as the dollar. Actually, the funny thing here is the only thing that hasn't been hammered is the U.S. dollar. Oh, the dollar is at a, at one of the strongest points in over ten years. The euro traded closed trading today at a buck thirty six. Is at a buck fifty six month ago. Pound 
So over two fifteen six months ago, it's now a buck seventy four. Yeah, but your buying power has gone down still. Uh, not despite, yeah, despite the strength. Right, but what I'm saying is that the dollar is getting stronger. Gold is at eight eighty eight. Um, pull up a uh, chart of gold. Let's see, let's see how gold is actually doing over there. Uh, but my thing was, gold had had spiked at over nine hundred, um, okay. you know, close to nine fifty, and now it's back under nine hundred. It's yeah. getting hit. It's getting hit just like any other thing. But the, the the average person on the street, you know, sees Wall Street having problems, and yeah, depression's coming. I mean, well, wasn't there some sort of numbers on that? Did you have a website? That? Oh yeah, actually, I was looking at that. Um, well, I was looking at CNBC.com, and, uh, and there's something else I was looking at. Oh, yeah, poll. 60% say depression is likely. This is on CNNMoney.com. That is pretty depressing, yeah. Yeah, that is pretty depressing. But this is an ultra-liberal poll. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I'm starting to agree with them when I see on CNBC's website uh, that Alcoa missed the earnings forecast, and... Uh, and profit has, Alcoa is one of the leading indicators as far as I'm concerned of how well the economy is really doing. Okay. Um, they're going to get killed, and uh, they're, that's going to kill the market more. So, uh, what does it say here? The CNN Opinion Research Corp surveyed more than 1,000 Americans over the weekend cited uh, common measures of economic pain in the 1930s. 25% unemployment rate. We're nowhere near that right now. Uh, widespread bank failures. Well, we see a lot of that today. And millions of Americans homeless and unable to feed their families. I love CNBC. <laughs> oh, There's some fear-mongering for you. <laughs> uh, well, are these millions of homeless people the, the benefactors of the bailout? or? Um, I actually <laughs> think that, that that might actually be the case that no, I think what's going to happen is they're going to be the benefactors of the bailout, and then they're going to fall behind on their city taxes, and they're going to get ejected from their houses anyways by the cities and towns. That seems to make the most sense. Yeah, I agree um, with that. I actually got a feeling that's coming down the pipe next. Coming down the pipe next, people yeah. are going to get bailed out of their mortgages by this bailout. Which, man, if I ever saw a communist bailout, you got me going on the uh, on the place where the government can go in and change the principal on your mortgage. Um, yeah, that's not good. That's not good at all. Uh, that scares the scares me to no end. Um probably the scariest thing in that whole bill. Uh and change the interest rate whenever they feel like it. Um on top of that now, what's going to happen? Well, we're going to change the principle. We're going to let you stay in your home. And then, you know, oh, you still have to pay your city taxes. Can't make those payments. What happens? You get it. You get evicted. Yeah. And I wonder how many people are going to get evicted for falling behind on their taxes. And then we're going to have another bailout bill from the federal government because people are falling, you know, that are a stranglehold on your cities and towns because your cities and towns are evicting people. You know, is that the next thing coming down the pipe? We're going to have to have another bailout bill for that. No. Well, 
you know, a while back there was some uh, something going on where I guess they wanted to provide tax breaks into, I think it might have been Newton, one of the more well-off towns. And you know, it, the old people, the old codgers, if you will, or the old curmudgeons who, you know, didn't want to have to pay any more tax where everybody else would have to make up the difference for them. Yeah. And that didn't fly, as, as I recall. It didn't go well. No. Um, I don't have the specific details, but, you know, the idea of, oh, well, uh, yeah, if you start slacking and go into effectively um, what would be lean, okay, should your neighbors bail you out, whether or not you meet any sort of criteria, I don't think at the town level it's going to fly. It just won't. You can't. Towns are not in the – I mean, it's one thing for the federal government to be in the business of charity, which it is and it should not be. Oh, but agree. another thing for towns to do it. Towns can't afford to do it. They're already on a tight budget as it is. True. You know, typically. And, I mean, granted, people who run in-town government have these sort of attitudes that, you know, taxpayer dollars are – are like trees waiting to be harvested every year, and you got to shake them down to get, you know, your money off of the tree. Right. Um, and if it, it'll go bad if you don't use it, so obviously they have to spend it all. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and and there's more there, and and you know they they play the game. Well, it'll cost you your children's education uh, if we don't tax you. So yeah. we have to tax you more because you're not going to get children. Right. I hear that one for oh, two and a half overrides every year. It's me crazy. It must drive you crazy even more because your town's more susceptible to two and a half overrides to mine. Well, there are a lot of kids. There's yeah. a lot of schools and kids nearby and you know, I try not to run them over when they're uh, driving around, like on their bicycles or on foot. But it's not like know. one of the hardest things to do: not drive over a kid in the middle of the street. Well, what are they doing running around in the middle of the street at like midnight? You know, I know. like they don't belong out that late. <laughs> but you know, and then it's like, oh well, you know, if I'm running late for work, it's like nine, ten a.m., and kids are walking around. I'm like, kids being school. Yep. You know, why Why are they out in the road slowing down traffic? They shouldn't be there. Yep. You never know. One of those things. Right. But let, let, let's go back to the, you know, 60% said depression is likely. And I wanted to get some of your thoughts on, on how to prepare, you know, for the very real possibility of a depression coming. My instinct was to liquidate as many things as I can, stocks. You know, books, anything that I got laying around that I don't really need, turn that into cash and, you know, stock up the basement full of food or guns or butter or, you know, I mean, I mean, I don't know if we should really be going into survival mode just yet, but the, the very real possibility of a depression coming, I mean, is that the right thing to do? Um, well, my thing is during a depression, I want to be in a position of strength, okay? Anybody who can afford to buy during a depression is going to make money. Okay, so I want to be able to be buying during a depression. So, first and foremost, zero debt. Yeah. I, I'm going into a depression, I, and I do think that this government's heading us into a depression fast. These bailout measures, 
We saw what the New Deal did. It added 10 years to the Great Depression. Um, so if you, I... had like, if you had like five, 500 bucks right. or 5,000 bucks or right. 500,000 bucks, well, let's not say 500, uh, but let's say, you know, 5,000 bucks that you had sitting around in stock, okay? Mm-hmm. If you've got any sort of debt, you should probably be pulling that money out right now, paying oh, yeah. down the debt. Get and... rid of the debt. Yes. Get rid of all your debt. And Primary. Th- that seems like a very strong conservative fiscal view. Yeah. Um, well, you don't want to be. In, you want to be in a position of strength. If you lose your job, you want to not have to be putting pulling putting out money that you don't need to put out. So you want to have as minimal of a lifestyle as possible. How can okay. I minimize my expenses? I want to be living minimalist, so that I can go in and say, if I lose my job, I can afford to hang out and eat popcorn all day. Okay? You know, right. let's let's think about 1930s America. There there are two things that happened. Two yeah. types of people. Ones who had jobs and ones who didn't. Ones who didn't have jobs, they had to find a way to survive, right? So right. Going into a depression, you want to get rid of debt because you do not want to be the one of the few carrying debt into this depression. Because as okay. soon as it gets really bad, that debt's going to become an anchor on you and kill you. Well, well, well. Now, wait a minute. What if the uh, the people that you owe money to suddenly go out of business? Are you going to still be liable for it? Depends on who, on which sector of the money you're to. Oh, um, cause, because you know, I did see an article recently saying, "Please don't, you know, uh, stop paying your mortgage when these banks go under." Right, but the banks are the banks who own a ton of mortgages that are going under. There's another bank buying that bank. That entity, that that. Uh, contract you made with that bank can be sold, bought and sold as a commodity. What really got us into trouble here is people wanted more of those commodities out there. So yeah, the subprime mess came about because they wanted more mortgages to be able to buy and trade. So another bank buys that mortgage and assumes the risk of you faulting on your mortgage uh, but gets all of the don't. Okay, but if I owe a half a million dollars, mm-hmm. okay, on a mortgage, right, and I have the possibility of spending ten grand on a good lawyer to say, oh, because they tra- transferred, you know, the um, transferred it to another company, and they're they're changing the rules on me that I can claim breach of contract. You know, I might actually um, be able to get out of that mess. Yeah, but I think it's actually written into the contract. I mean, there's a reason why that. Agreements of book, yeah. Um, and I think it would be kind of neat to actually sit down and we should go through your mortgage agreement because I don't have one. Um, well, but the thing is, okay. But what what a lot of people don't know, and I think I want to I want to spell this out because it really is kind of a secret thing that you don't realize until you know you've had to deal with a bunch of contracts right. and. The contracts are only as good as a, a judge will deal with them. The reason we have contracts is because people don't agree on things and people don't want to get screwed. But if you take any contract in front of a judge and you can have a good lawyer prove that it's unconscionable, meaning it's right. not in your interest and it has greater interest on one party than the other, it's unequal and unbalanced, they can actually undo it and make a ruling that discards large parts of the contract. 
So every contract is really mutable. I mean, that's the same reason that um, you've got these uh, prenup agreements. In Massachusetts, they don't hold up. In a lot of other states, they don't hold up. They're not ironclad. There are no guarantees. Anything that gets thrown in front of a judge and contested in front of a judge is now mutable. Yeah, and I agree. In Massachusetts, it really scares me that some of those contracts are mutable. Um, But for the most part, most judges um, will agree with the contract terms if they're general, generic terms that they give to everybody. And the bank acted in good faith when approving your loan. Um, It's kind of what the contention is with this subprime thing is, was the bank truly acting in good faith when they knew that this loan was going to be a disaster? Uh, Well, if someone says that your rates are going to change without notice, and it's anybody but the government, you could take them to court. Uh. Yeah, but the actual the arms on a lot of those loans are were subject to change after a term of three years. So, and knew going in upfront that that adjustable rate mortgage and adjustable rate mortgages have been around forever um, was going to change after three years or five years, depending on your depending on the arm that you agreed to. So you agreed that this might change just because the banker. You know, it's sort of like the salesman who's saying, you know, oh, yeah, in, that stock might go down. It might lose value. But in reality, that probably won't happen. So don't worry about it. It's the same saying that, oh, yeah, the arm may change, but, oh, it may not be three points higher when it changes. You're not uh, going to change my mind on this, okay? People who get arms are stupid. Well, that I agree with you. They're stupid. Or sometimes, I mean, hey, if I can get better terms, I mean... We talk about credit card. We talk about credit cards sometimes. Zero percent interest for six months. That's an adjustable rate. After six uh, no. months. No, 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 no. It's not adjustable. I mean. <laughs> well, no, that's no, but that's the way the bank looks at it. It's the same thing. It, the bank is betting on you not paying off that turn off that zero percent after six months. And they're also betting that I'm not going to swap it to another card before the six months is up. Oh yeah, so they're going to get some money on that. But, but what I'm saying is, kind of trick. you can't pull that kind of trick on an arm loan. But that's what they did. That's what they did, and they can do it. It's the same thing. Yeah, but there's paperwork, much paperwork involved on the loan. You know, whereas uh, your credit card swap is easy peasy. Well, it is easier because it's less money, but and the mortgage industry is a little bit. Are heavily regulated than the credit card industry. You're talking about ten or fifteen grand with a credit card versus a hundred grand or above for a home loan, right? Yeah. So you got a lot more money, so there's a lot more paperwork. Um, plus, the terms of the length of agreeing to pay off the thing are very, very different. So there are a lot more regulations on a home loan than there are. Because they're trying to protect the homeowner. Um, the problem lies in the fact that you can still get an adjustable rate. Adjustable yeah. rate, in the, and it's the same as that 0% rate. If you don't 
you're not aware that that rate's going to adjust up and you get hit with a lot of interest fast. That's right. Um, and if you're not expecting the rate to adjust up, you're just stupid. Um, and let me just plain out say it, you're stupid. Okay, that's the scary part about an adjustable rate. What's even funnier is if that adjustable rate, you can go ahead and refinance to a fixed rate before that arm makes the payments so you can make your payments. People were stupid not to do that. Right. Because they could barely afford the payment at this lower rate. Yeah. Um, this is where the whole mess started. This is where the whole mess lies yep. in arms. Or these, you know, and then there are some other dirtier loans, which are, well, just pay the interest. You don't have to pay the principal right now. Well, what well, happens when you have to start paying the principal on that loan? <laughs> um, I get too preachy on, on the conservatism here, but I'll just say this once, okay? All right. Shame on the people who have taken out loans that are above and beyond what they can afford. Shame on the banks for offering the loans that were people above and beyond what they can afford. And shame on the government acting as a charity, propping, propping up the banks and propping up the homeowners who they thought maybe, oh, well, it should be a right to own a home whether or not you can afford it. And I, I look at all three of those factors combined as what has caused the mess that we're in. But I want to sort of stay away from that because I, I was trying to get at, you know, what to do. How do you prepare for a depression? And I know we've, we've hit the financial stuff, but what about the day-to-day -day stuff? I mean, let's okay. say, okay. You, I mean, I, my initial thinking is, okay, but what if hard times are coming, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so sorry, self-censorship, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but what if the hard times are really coming, and, and what, what do you do? I mean... How do you prepare for that? Now, I had a good friend, and he was a good friend of yours as well, uh -huh. who who lived on very little. Um, he yep. had, you know, uh, very little coming in because of disability, uh -huh. and he managed to look at the flyers, and, um, you know, he would he would try to basically live on almost nothing. Yep. And you know, we would go to we would hit like uh, the dollar menu at at um, Wendy's and get a junior bacon cheeseburger for a buck, yep. you know, and it, it, these were, you know, sound things for someone who was yeah, subsisting on very little. Right. And I start thinking, well, you know, what are the things that are, are going to need to last? And like, you know, foods, I mean, you want your honey because honey has like an almost infinite lifetime. They, they right. dig up um, honey from ancient Egyptian jars that were used to preserve bodies, for example. Yeah. Obviously, the stuff lasts. Um, your grains, your canned goods. I mean, I, yeah. I remember when I was growing up, my grandmother actually had a basement full of, um, you know, canned goods. And we used to always joke, what are you preparing for World War Three?" She had grown up in the Depression. And... Uh, you know, they they did. I mean, they, they had to prepare for the worst, and it sort of stuck with them. And I, I kind of wonder if there's some wisdom in in doing just that. Oh, I agree. I, and I totally agree. And, well, what can I do to prepare myself for a long term without a job or a significant amount of time 
where I may not be able to make the income that I am currently used to. Well, no, I mean, I'm, I'm actually not looking at that income angle at all. all. But just no. the, what am I prepared for? Well, well, well I'm, I'm. But this is their thinking. This is their thinking. Have, yeah, but if we have an economy that collapses, and uh, yeah, it's going to cost you know, or it's going to take barrels full of of worthless money to to make you know what it takes to get a gallon of milk. Well, uh, what we really should be investing in then is, is, there, is, is we need to buy our own rent. cow. Yeah, but is there going to be a rush on? Food. I mean, is there going to be shortage type situations where people um, start in with the hoarding, or people can't afford to get any of it? I'm not sure about that because we do produce some obscene amount of the world's food. We produce an obscene amount of food. So, real problem is is if we start we start having it's not going to be a run on food like like it was in the Depression, because we produce vastly more food than than we ever have in the past, or ever can think about. And the government subsidizes food fairly heavily in the United States, so that will not happen. Our farmers are subsidized so that they can live, so they don't have to charge, you know, so that in a Depression economy where, food, where money is worthless and everything, kind of props up the economy artificially by paying off the farmers. So the farms are actually subsidies, and these huge farm subsidies, this is what they're meant for. It's a depression time. But I don't understand. I mean, I I get the strong feeling. Basically, the government is going to subsidize all of our food if we hit a depression. So if we we don't have to... If we have a depression, where is the government going to get their money to pay for it? We don't have it. If we're losing our jobs and we have a 25% unemployment rate, if times were to get really bad, their income is based on our output. Right. Where are they going to pay for it? How are they going to pay for it? I don't know how they paid for it in the the New Deal. They just printed money and paid for it. Oh. They literally printed money. That's exactly... They just print new, new money. The... What they do is they try to try to prop up something you can sell to somebody else. So food, as long as we can feed our own people, we can always sell food to somebody else. Biggest thing, biggest export that we have. If we're all depressed and out of jobs, guess what? Everybody else is too. Um, so food is the best thing to subsidize in the fact that can sell it to everybody else and get some of your debt back from our nations, which is what makes the economy, all economy, kind of tick. Um, well, so in the past year, in the past year, prices of food have gone up insane amount. You know, right? Because so, we we've, we've cut subsidies too. Right. But what I'm saying is they're going to increase subsidies on to continue to keep to depress that inflation. Did you believe the prices on food will go down? Uh, or at least stabilize. Stabilize. But that's in a severe depression. I don't think we're there yet. I think another winter with 
$150 barrel oil is going to really put a strain on things. The interesting thing, though, is we've now priced into food $150 barrel oil. They haven't brought those prices down. So, Okay, so let me ask you this. Regardless of the current price of oil, is it bad to make a run for Chef Boyardee now? No, because if you put it in your basement, you know, and maybe double the price next winter. Okay. Um, it's a risk. It's a commodity risk. Is it? You know, you should be collecting it as extra, putting it away like a squirrel does for winter. You want to start putting things away. If you see winter coming, you want to start putting things away for winter, right? Well, it has been getting a little bit cold lately. Right, but I'm saying winter economically. Right. This uh, is the winter of our discontent. Right. Yeah. Um, so we, we want to put stuff away for the winter. So we want to be prepared for it. How do we prepare for it? You know, do I know not making as much as I, I could be making? I'm in a job that is going to be around during yeah. an economic winter. I stay a little bit longer than I'd like because the economic conditions kind of are agree. You know, the economic conditions at my job are agreeable um, versus moving on and making more money because it may yeah. be a shorter term prospect. Right. Um, especially in an economic depression, do I want to hold a job a little bit longer than I really wanted to because of an economic depression? Um, those are things to consider. Now, back to this, Johnny, go get a gun. You know, go get your gun because you're going to need it. You know, make sure you put a gun in your basement. I always, it's always wise alongside your canned food because you can always go, also, yeah. so you can always go out and hunt the coyote down or the bear that's traveling in your backyard if you're in New Jersey and cook that up for dinner. <laughs> um, you know, bear meat lasts a really long, you know. 700 pounds of meat going to last some time, you know. So you can, it wouldn't hurt to get a couple big freezers, too. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's, a, that's a wise idea, especially if you can um, Any way to generate your own power, better off. What about growing your own food in the basement? Good idea? Uh, always a good idea. Well, growing your own food is always a good idea. That cuts the cost significantly. You know, my, my dad actually made a good observation a while back. He said, you know, you could grow your, your vegetables all season long, but you can never get a salad at the same time. Right. So, you know, there there is a downfall to that, but I, at least I know in my, you can absolutely, even the worst people who don't have green thumbs, they can always grow mushrooms in the basement. Right. Because it's dark. Yeah, it's a fungus. It'll grow it's pretty fun. much no matter what. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you can trade it. I mean, that that's that's a good thing. So if you start growing something in your basement, and I grow something different, we can trade it. We can create our own sub-economy with this stuff. You we can, can trade for needs. Right, we can trade for our needs if we do things like that. Yep. And so that's another way. I mean, the Deep South, where... These guys live out in the middle of nowhere. Some I've heard of stories of guys who still don't use money. They trade on what they have. They shine. They do other things. They trade it in backdoor trading. Right. You know they'll trade it for something else. You know, just keep trading 
themselves, and they've got this sub-economy down there that works. And when we get into a deep economic depression, you want to be able to be somebody who has a skill in the sub-economy. So, huh. you know, and it, it's, it's sort of like why all your friends, you know, your tech geek, all your friends go to you for help. Yeah. It's one of those things. We have a skill in the sub-economy. Well, hey, I'll repair your computer. I'll make sure it works. You, you know, what are you going to give me in trade so that I can still live? Prime rib. Oh, yeah. I mean, we talk about, you know, we <laughs> trade prime ribs amongst each other. But <laughs> in reality, that's a sub-economy. Yeah. Get down to it. What are my base skills? What can I do to survive if I need to? Yeah. You know, think in those terms. And now's a good time to start thinking in survival mode. Well, you are, you want to have that always in the back of your mind, but it's a good time to be like, hi, hey, how can I maximize those skills? What can I do so that I can, if if I needed to go into a sub-economy, I call a sub-economy here, um, what can I trade? What are my skills for trade? What can I trade to get food? What Can I grow my own food? Can I do these things that everything falls apart? And I can do this on my own, so I don't need to rely on a corporation. Right. Rely on an outside source. Um, so growing your own food, you know, want to cut your milk costs? Well, what's the cost-benefit analysis of going and buying a cow? You know, he can well, mow your we, lawn for you, and then but he, I, I would caution our listeners not to take this as far as printing our own money. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not going there because the federal government kind of gets annoyed with that. Um, but, you know, I'm saying, hey, you know, hey, you want to give me a case of Coke or give me, you know, a case of Mike's Hard Lemonade for fixing your computer? Well, hey, yep. you know, that's that's what I call a sub-economy, you know, what I call a trade. Speaking of speaking of uh, Mike's Hard Liquor or, or Lemonade, lemonade. Um, alcohol... Okay, does actually preserve well. And if you yes. have wine or mead, you can also add that in your bunker in the basement, you know, well, along I, your dried foods because it'll stay. Oh, talking about that, I'm sitting next to my storage bin of of a whole bunch of alcohol that's older than I am. Okay? <laughs> yeah. And it's still good. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I completely understand, you know sitting next to a uh, bunker full of alcohol that's older than I am. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, just as a kind of, you know, I've been thinking about that. And you know what? You can trade that, too. You bet. You know, you can trade your ancient alcohol. So this is another thing that I, I agree. When times are good, what should I be buying? Well, I want to fill my house with, you know, people say, well, why do you want all these nice things? Why do you want real silver or silverware? Well, because real silver silverware means I can take that 24-carat silver and sell it as silver on the market in the Depression. Same That's thing. Right. You know, I want real candlesticks, nice candlesticks, hard metal candlesticks. Why? Because I can use, you know, I need to fill my house with those things that are, that are meltable for hard currency. Well, they're liquid assets. Right. Really. They become liquid assets in a depressed economy, but real silver... Depressed economy means I can melt that down and make a silver bar out of it. Yep. So I've always seen the birth of, let me get real, real silver, get a nice set, 
just I might also note that you can use a candlestick as a weapon. It did work pretty well in the game Blue. I totally agree. Yeah, nice. Another reason to have real, real gold and silver hanging around. They're heavy metals. They will <laughs> hurt somebody. I mean, you may bend that old object, but guess what? It's still a dense object. Um, silver's great. You can hit somebody over the head with some silver and it will hurt. Um, <laughs> you know, so kind of look at those traditional things that are, um, you know, that, that will preserve, that are nice, you know. Hey, yeah. I go to the, you know, one of the other things I do, I currently buy all my furniture from uh, shops at schools. Yep. Discounted. They do just as good of a job. They make it hand handcrafted furniture. Okay. Well, what happens if I need to sell that nice piece of armor I just got from the school? Well, I can make an instant profit on it because I only paid for the cost of the materials. Right. You know, again, what it, what can I do to maximize, well, to maximize my money? Buy something dirt cheap because, you know, a kid makes it. Does just as good work as I can get in Jordan's furniture at a tenth of the price. Well, I can still sell that for probably a twentieth of the price and double my money. You know, you yeah. gotta think in those terms. And you're right. You know, the alcohol that's always tradable in a bad economy. Somebody always wants to get drunk. Always get something for getting somebody drunk. Um, well, you know, I think a lot of people do you know collect things. And, right. and when times are good, they buy things that they ne- not won't necessarily well, need, but they could always liquidate for a profit. I mean, right. I've, heard, to... I've got tons of rare books. Right. I've got tons of comic books. I've got a lot of um, technology toys that may be considered, uh, you know, antiques at this point. I've got a whole bunch of Atari cartridges. And when I was in college, I was actually buying up the rare ones for a buck or so apiece. Mm. You know, for the years, I could probably make a few grand off of them. So right. having having assets that you can liquidate when you predict times are tough, probably yeah. a good thing. But, I mean, you have to watch, and the only other thing I can warn about that is you have to watch, I need to balance my, it's again like investing or anything else, I need to balance my investments based on when I need to liquidate. Because if I need to liquidate in a depression, Atari cartridges yeah. aren't going to get me jack. That's but true. Real silver silverware may actually get me something because that's hard currency. Whereas if I need to liquidate in a strong economy, um, because I am having a weak economy, personal weak economy, that's a different story. If that's when those collectibles become valuable. Yeah, but if you start thinking globally, even if we were to have a, a bad economy, somewhere in the world, there is a strong economy. And somewhere in the world, people have surplus where they can buy things. Oh, I agree. But you know, my access to those people can be limited, you know. Not in this global economy. I mean, we've got eBay now, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. The limits it used to be a lot more limited than what it is now, today. The Internet has helped us some of those limits. Shall we have anything more to say about this or this topic? 
go for the next topic. Oh yeah, continuing on this depression. Um, another article we were talking about. Fanny. Gloom, folks. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, there, there's a couple of articles that I think we read going along with this, you know, bad loans here. Fannie oh. Mae forgives loan for woman who shot herself. It's the headline <laughs> that uh, I think we were talking about. <laughs> Do you have? I, I know you sent me this article. Do you want to espouse on any of this? Well, this woman, you know, she was in her house and. I guess they were serving her notices that she's got to pay, and there was a foreclosure. And yep. well, I guess the cops showed up, and they they she went and shot herself so she wouldn't have to pay, yeah. or or something like that. So mm-hmm. you know, I mean, people are getting creative when times get tough. American ingenuity becomes creative, not always in the best way, but it happens. Right. Yeah, I got to give her credit. You know, the countrywide. Uh... Or these people who own their own or loan didn't want to. Uh, Fannie Mae didn't want to take the bad press for this one, so she got out of her loan. Well, <laughs> you know, you ask yourself whether or not there's going to be copycat incidents. I mean, is this the kind of thing people would just start doing? Well, I'm going to shoot myself, you know, uh, because they did it and it worked for them. Maybe it'll work for me. Well, they say death is the fastest way out of your loans. Uh, the bank usually eats the loans. Uh, you're their bad debt when you die. Well, so. you would think more people would be faking their deaths if they were going to do that. Well, I guess you know suicide. You know that's why that's why uh, insurance companies don't pay off on suicide. <laughs> uh, and I know, and I've heard of stories of people faking their deaths to get out of their lo- everything. I'll just go start a new life somewhere else. Get a get a new green get a new uh, social security card and I'm free of all my debt. Well, you'll never work in this town again. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't planning on it. I was going to move to the other coast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Juan Carlos Ramirez was going to start working. Um, hey, 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 don't give out your trade secrets. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. <laughs> Well, I mean, how bad is it that someone has to go and shoot themselves? I mean, is, is this, you know, uh, I mean, this obviously is not um, normal behavior, or is it, or is this the new standard of normal behavior when you've got a foreclosed home? Just shooting yourself, in, like the foot or the arm or wherever. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of think, you know, she was trying to kill herself. It's a whole different issue. I'd get into it. But actually, well, I do, well, well, actually, I do want to get into it. Hold on. Wait, wait a second. What if this is a gender issue? I mean, you know, a lot of times uh, men actually will uh, blame others, and women will actually blame themselves. So by yeah. that logic, women will – men will shoot others where women will shoot themselves, right? Well, so I, I the think logical co- conclusion is that if this were a man, there would be some homicide, Right. Well, yeah, actually, I was thinking I was thinking in a couple of ways. You actually brought up a couple of points. One, my first thought was, I might shoot myself and leave my dead body there so the bank can't sell the house because it's now the suicide home. Um, so they have to scrub down the ride to, to sell it again, you know. Right. So they take a further loss on me by having to sell it at a deep discount because, you know, I shot myself <laughs> in my house. You know, yep. hey, screw as many people as you can while you're going down. The other thing that you just brought up is the 
I'm going to go postal um, and go shoot up the place before I kill myself. Yeah. So I go into the countrywide home loan office and shoot up the place. Um, just as a disclaimer, Lord Clark does not, not condone the act of postal. Um, but in any event, that's one. I also discussed to have a friend who actually was witness to one. What we thought about that. Found it amazing. Uh, but, you know, there's always that reaction to that situation. Um, I'm not sure. I can see people going both ways on this one. You know, I think we should pop some popcorn to see what happens. <laughs> You're looking for front row seats at the end of the universe, aren't you? But- uh, I agree with George Carlin. You know, he's like... People are going to make this place very interesting for a very long time. Uh, and he was talking about terrorists and other things, you know, but I think we can apply this to the home loan mess. That, you know, you know, I might as well just sit back and watch the show. Have a good time with it. Well, had we had sound people or sane people giving out loans in the first place. Right. Uh, this could have been avoided. Uh, yes, it could be, but we didn't, so we're in our me- we're in our mess. So, right. And then there was another article to not even get on to that last article that we were just talking about, but another one that you. Uh, had uh, shown me is maybe we should blame God for the subprime mess. Wasn't that also subtitled? Did God want you to get that mortgage? Yeah, I think so. Or there was somewhere mentioned in there. Yeah, well, I guess the general thinking behind that is that people uh, seem to think that getting these loans were the answers to their prayers. So if you pray hard enough, you get loans that you can't pay for. Right. And, and, you know, being in by my... that by that logic, can I pray really hard and not get stuck with the bailout bill? Uh, you can try. Um, well, Eric, you think? Uh, you know, I I did want to say on that logic, it is false logic according to the Bible. I think the Bible actually states that you need to be wise with your money and you know get extra advice, get extra advisors, so that you don't make an unwise investment like buying a home you can't afford. Bible goes into that in multiple places. So, I don't think God's to blame. God warned you against taking out the bad loan. Um, but, you know, uh, hey, there's some people that think that that we should blame God, you know? Well, I think they got a couple things right, at least conceptually in these uh, Bibles that we speak of, and yeah. that's the concept of a tithing, right? right. A tithing is 10% of your income. Yeah. So, I guess in my ideal world, uh-huh. okay, you would be required to give a tithing to religious uh, viewpoint of your choice. Right. And you'd be required to give a tithing to the government, and that's it. You get 80%. You'd be left with 80%. Not so bad. Uh, you know, that would actually flat tax. I mean, hey, I, I'm up for that. Um Probably do a, do the whole country a lot of good to go into the flat ta- that flat tax model. 
But uh, could we call it a tithing? Or we could call it two tithing? Well, I, I, I think even from a... Let's pull back and look at this. You've got to give 10% to a charity of your choice, which be a religion or something else if you're an atheist. Because or we could force it to be the government if you don't have religion of your choice. Right. So they'd get the 20% anyhow. Yeah, well, then they'd be asking, why can't you tithe and still give us 20%? Um, <laughs> so my thing is, let, let's, let's leave it at 10% flat tax to the government. 10% you got to give to some charitable organization. Um, hey. Now, right now, we're almost paying 10% to just Social Security, let alone the government. Right. Almost. Yeah, so we're giving to the charity of Social Security. Um, Ten percent, then we're paying at least another fifteen percent, if not more, to the federal government. To the government. And just to bring the point home, if you had a hundred bucks and you were to just burn, you know, literally take a match, which I'm not condoning, but you know, you could, yeah. you know, uh, actually take a match to eight dollars and change, I think, or seven dollars of it. Yep. Just light it up, and you know that that's your social security because it's a one way trip. Nine percent, I think it is. Oh, it's already up to nine. How about yeah, that? Yeah, it's nine percent. And you then know, you, could, and you then, could get like a really good. You could get a decent dinner on nine bucks at Wendy's, well, and you you could feed a family twice over at Taco Bell on that nine dollars. And that's just for Social Security. When you add up your thirty-five to forty percent tax rate, which I think we're both in. Um, for all of our taxes here. For, for now. For now. <laughs> now think about that. Think about what 40 bucks will buy you. Yeah. You know, you can take out the whole family in Wendy's and eat well. Go out yeah. to dinner at a cheap restaurant for 40 bucks. Um, yeah. I know it'll buy you a 40-ounce prime rib. Uh, you know. There are a lot of things I can do with forty bucks that I'm just burning out of every hundred I have. Yeah. Uh, so that's just scary. Well, it's also a, a reflection on the time spent. I mean, this is an old conservative view, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yep. But if you look at your work week and you look at your level of taxation, mm -hmm. you can just imagine that you're spending anywhere between two and a half. To, well, sorry, uh, one and a half, two of your work days in the work week, just paying taxes. Yep. You know, th th those are all just spent working for the government in whatever shape or form it is. Right. Pretty scary. Very scary. And especially right. if, if people want to increase your taxes, uh, if they say 50%, can you imagine you just like... Half the time, I mean, you could look at half of a day, you know, it's like, well, from noon, uh, you know, from noon to 5 p.m. or, or uh, yeah. 1 to 5, for example, in a 9 to 5 day, yeah, I'm working for myself. The other half of the day, I'm just working for the government. That's yep. great. Yay. Yay. <laughs> but, you know, it, it also ties in with freedom, liberty, yep. because if you're not working for yourself, you're working for, you know, obviously there's some benefit to paying into governments, but uh, it's not nearly as much benefit that you see as if 
your time were your own and you weren't seeing yourself somewhat of a wage slave. Well, on another topic here, um, you know, that ties into all of this going around, I uh, saw another article. Yeah. Talking about U.S. Mint suspend sales of 24 karat gold coins. Guess they're having a rush on gold coins. You know, talking about this coming depression yet again. You know, mm. that's kind of interesting too. They're stopping gold coin production for Buffalo coin. Huh. Uh, you know, because people are going out and buying, going out and buying them and stocking up. So gold coins are now becoming an endangered species, just like the buffaloes they depict. Right. <laughs> and the American eagle. Uh, Double eagle. Yeah. And so on. And so right, on. right. <laughs> Another interesting side note to the, yeah, people stocking up. Well, what are you going to do with all that gold? Just hold it? <laughs> I know. I mean, that's that's the thing I kind of wonder. Where do you put it? I mean, then you got to go buy yourself a safe right. and maybe a gun or maybe a dog. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how are you going to keep all that gold safe? You can't drag it all around with you all the time. I mean, it's, I guess that's one of the conveniences of paper money. Lighter. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, theoretically, originally, the paper money was supposed to be backed by gold, the gold standard, and Fort Knox was supposed to be full of gold that backed our paper money. That didn't work out so well for us. Um, well, I don't know. We got taken off the gold standard so we could print more money. Um, oh. <laughs> okay. We didn't have enough of it going around. It was <laughs> it was it was worth too much, so we had to go make some more. But we also did have silver-backed money too. There's a silver certificate, right? Right. Yeah. Those days are over. Those days are long over. Those days are long gone. Yeah, our, our uh, I think I think you've made this point once before that you know our uh, currency is actually backed by the amount of weapons and military might that we have in nuclear weapons. Yeah, I told I that is my total point. Our old standard to the plutonium standard. Our currency is backed by plutonium, and how much plutonium we can put on target. Um, you know, how much bang can we get for our buck for our nuclear weapons? Um, because so people, get- we, we scare people, we bully people into agreeing with us because we can put weapons on target. So will I be able to buy some of this plutonium stuff from the U.S. Mint now that they're not selling gold anymore? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> Why not? Uh, because they seem to, they seem to treat it, uh... As a very valuable commodity. Now, they, cool. now I, I, I do wonder, is the right to keep and bear arms, and, you know, does owning a nuclear weapon fall under my right to keep and bear arms? Now, I need to be able to fend off in a, you know, even in the worst definition of militia, well, yeah. the militia needs to come from the local population, and originally it was designed that the local population brings their guns with them. That you don't have to have a storehouse of weapons, but that you know we get everybody who has a you know the reason they wanted everybody to have a gun was so that everybody could come out and be able to have a rifle and be able to stand in line and shoot shoot at each other. 
Well, in in the nuclear age, why shouldn't it be my right in my hey, I need a militia to come together. Everybody should have an intercontinental ballistic missile with them. Well, if you could afford to get one, I guess, and carry it around, I don't see the reason why not to. I mean, but you also have, on the other hand, this is the same government that wants to regulate, you know, whether or not you can have incandescent versus compact fluorescent light bulbs. Right. Of them, or whether or not we take some sort of household chemicals and use them for an unintended use that's not federally authorized. Yep. You know, I mean, just because I want to go and grab some Clorox and Drano, mix them together, and make my own little cool bomb, okay, mm. now that's an act of homegrown terrorism that's federally regulated that you can't do. I know. You, just, you can't do it. It's like, well, if you can't have good old clean chemical old fashioned fun, what kind of fun can you have? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't go out and blow stuff up in my backyard anymore without a, or, you know, without a permit. I'm surprised they even let kids have chemistry sets nowadays. Well, I know the... they can't easily get model rockets. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is funny that you you these these people promote education chemistry set you know if you understand chemistry well enough like enough bombs and and things that are worse than anything else um yet the chemistry set is still legal but they have done a lot to to take out the chemistry set as i would say um it's not nearly as fun as it was 20 years ago (laughs) oh heck not only are they going to take out the chemistry set they're going to dismantle the periodic table oh yeah well, you know, I keep my chart of the nucleides in my basement with me, you know, just in case. You know, may dismantle everybody else's knowledge, but I have knowledge. Uh, That's next to the canned goods, the guns, and the butter. Right. You know, I need to know how to, you know, know about cross-sections. I need to know about all those things. Because, you know, hey, I may need to build my own nuclear weapon to defend myself. Probably uh, a good place to store the calculus books, too. Right. Well, hey, calculus comes in handy, you know, arcing. You know, you need that, you know, why was calculus really developed so I can figure out how to put weapons on target faster and more <laughs> accurate. That's what well, that's really... heck why, how matrices came about. Yep. <laughs> calculus. That's everything. Projectiles. Projectile yep. motion. Need to know how to use, need to know how about it. We need to hit our enemies better. Yep. And, uh... Can under, if you understand how to hit your enemy better, you're always a valuable commodity. Um, pretty so much. Speaking it. of which, what about the dismantling of the mass transit authority? Speaking of enemies, <laughs> enemies of our wallets, enemies of our dollars, enemies of our life. Well, you know, I, I I'm shocked. This is coming out of the the Volpatrick camp. Um, together we can camp. I, I, it totally shocks me that this guy's coming up with this. Well, you know, I heard him on the radio. I did. And, uh, he, for the first time, I mean, I I didn't necessarily like his views, but he didn't sound like an idiot. He sounded reasonably sharp. I give him credit on that one. But, you know, a, a caller actually called into his show. 
was yeah. asking, well, you know, does this have anything to do with the fact that they're trying to repeal the income tax? And he said no. And, you know, for the first time, he actually made a convincing argument enough that I believed him. Yeah. Um, it sounds like that there has been way too much spending and they're over budget, and that's part of it. Yep. But maybe an inkling of, the, of you know, trying to get this in motion right. was because that, hey, <laughs> that that is on the ballot and we're not going to have, you know. Yeah, know, I've got to cut waste. Everybody saying, no more taxes, we don't want to pay up because... Yeah. We can't afford it. <laughs> yeah, and and I think I I think he's actually seeing the reality of the situation. If I tax my people anymore, they already can't afford their taxes. They get angry. They get angry. Very um, and militant. So, so what's the blood only the other streets. thing? I call for blood and oh wait no somebody calls for blood in the streets, streets. not me. Right, but I you know what's the only other thing you can do? You have to cut. You have to cut somewhere. This this program, which taxes the people passively, actually loses money. So why not just cut the program? Well, it's not completely tax it uh, or, or passively. It's somehow related to the big dig too, right? Well, yes, it's really well. They're responsible for paying off the big dig. So the Mass Turnpike Authority is the one who collects a tax or a toll. Um, while you drive down there, drive down that toll road. Um, you can take the opposing road, which I've done once before, just to see the difference in time it takes to get to Western Mass. Yeah. Um, and believe me, it is much more efficient to pay the extra couple of bucks because you're going to burn it in gas just trying to go that much slower. Um, to well, get to, no, but for a long time the gas wasn't the gas price wasn't a concern. You know? Actually, the, the amount of time it takes, you are going to burn, no matter what the price of gas is, you just takes so much longer that the four bucks it takes to get out to Western Mass or New York so much cheaper than the amount of time you spend on that road uh, in wear and tear on your vehicle, even. Well, maybe, I mean, I wouldn't expect a lot of people to broad view on that. I mean, right, it, well, just the amount of time it takes... Broadview really says toll road is still worth it. But I think where Deval Patrick is coming from is, hey, I've got this huge deficit because tax revenue went down because the economy sucks. Tax revenue goes down. Well, I'm getting this deficit in this program. If I cut the program, even to absorb, I can absorb the debt of Big Dig from from what it's costing me to pay off the the negative of the program faster than it is to recoup it from ha- you know raising some rates in the program right and well, well, uh, and i'm going to make that, i'm no. going to make my western mass constituency very happy right um so i get a win win here if i pull this place out if i blow this place up you know yeah, but the five bucks that you save could get you, you know, a twenty-piece chicken tenders and an orange soda. You know, wouldn't not anymore. It, it's five twenty-six for the twenty-piece. Um, oh, whoa, 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 prices are going up. Right. But, but the thing is, when, when all these, you know, for many many years, these tolls have been there, and when yeah. gas prices were relatively low, let's say between two and. 
I don't know. 99 cents. Well, well, if you want to look at that end, sure, why not? Yeah. But for a long time, gas prices were low, and you could afford to take the extra time to drive around and, you know, enjoy just cruising around. Because, you know, the penny has been pinched, and because people just can't afford the gas prices, people don't enjoy driving anymore. And I think as a result, people are just less friendly. And when they're less friendly, bad things happen. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is. But, you know, I mean, are they less friendly because they can't get their extra, uh, you know, French fries at McDonald's? Or is it because of the price of gas? Uh, you got to look at it from both angles, right? Right. I agree with you. Uh, that's a good way to look at it. $325 is what I recently paid for gasoline. And, you know, about this time last year, I believe the price was probably pushing. Four, four and a quarter, almost. No, it was actually about. I think it was about the same price this time last year. It's four and a quarter going into the winter. Oh, four, um, okay, four and a quarter going into the winter last year. Right. Okay. So you know, I mean, for every time you fill up, if you're filling up once or twice a week, and you've got a twenty-gallon tank, that's you know, uh, twenty to forty bucks back in your wallet. At this point. But, I actually figured it out. Yeah. For every for every move, twenty five cents yeah. for my car, it's twenty bucks in my wallet a week. Uh-huh. So let's say it goes down twenty five cents. That's an extra twenty bucks a week I can put back into my wallet. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. Let's, let's do the math. I did the math. Twenty okay. bucks a week. Or 20 bucks a tank, because I think I actually get like 10 days out of my tank. Um, in any event, it literally factors out to be about the time I fill up. So that's, a, I don't know, 20 bucks to me is a, not a significant amount of money, but it, when it's in my wallet, it, it feels like a significant amount of money. Like that's the first delineation to me of, that's something expensive that I got to shell out 20 bucks for. I don't know about you, but that's what I, I mean, that's the first delineation of, Hey, if I got to pull out 20 bucks, that's something that you know, I want to make sure I've at least thought about getting. Yeah. Um, so 25 cents move and that's a significant move. Cost me a decent amount of money per week. And that would get you 10, $2 whores and lol. You can look at it that way. That was the old metric back in the college day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> then again, I all I had to do was walk down the street and I got flashed by some lady for free. So It happens. It happens. It happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we, all, we weren't all sure we wanted to see that, <laughs> which we no. saw. Oh. <laughs> In fact, a lot of times you'd pay to have them put that back. Yeah, exactly. That was lol. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I remember fond memories of, of, of people, you know, looking out uh, for their uh, laser pointers, you know. Right. That, that was when laser pointers were big. And uh, yep. people were stumbling home drunk from uh, parties. You'd sort of, you know, like... Uh, Put the dot in front of them and flip them all out from the high <laughs> stories in the building just for fun. Oh yeah, 
that you know that would probably be an act of homegrown terrorism nowadays, right? Uh, yeah, I think that certain times flashing laser pointers into people's eyes can be. Uh, well, I wasn't aiming for their eyes. No, I was aiming for the ground. Oh yeah. Occasionally, occasionally aiming on their chest, where people would look at them and say, "Ah, you're gonna get shot." Yeah. Oh, I think yeah, that's what that that's what got it kind of bad. It's ah, you're gonna get shot, kind of thing. Now you can't actually aim them up in the sky and aim at pilots because that'll get you in real big trouble. You can't aim at planes. You can't shoot a gun at a plane. You can't really do much anymore that you might have been able to do before. Right. Obviously, you can't even launch. I mean, let's say had designed a rocket you make a better rocket than nasa in your backyard well you'd be in big trouble with the faa if you actually tried to launch it right uh yeah after a certain altitude you have to declare with the faa something that high now the real interesting thing about all of that law is if you can actually put that thing into orbit yeah. as long as it doesn't come back down you haven't done anything illegal Okay. But if it comes back down, you've done something illegal. So, so as long as you can get it into orbit, they can't bust you. So at what point, then, does, um, is the property boundary on my home? Okay, let's say I own a, an acre, for example. Yep. Okay. Um, how high up do I own the airspace? I don't know. I know it's only like a couple hundred feet. Oh really? I I think actually, yeah. There there are laws against how bit high you can build your house. But those aren't federal. No, but they're local, so they count. Uh, oh okay. What if I'm not building anything? Um, I don't. Let's say I had a Superman style uh, arm, and I could actually throw a baseball. Okay. That I well I can I can throw a baseball obviously but let's say I could throw a baseball into orbit would I be violating FAA laws at that point? No, because I don't think they've thought about somebody actually baseball. Built a machine to throw the baseball, then you would be. Oh, but if you did it yourself, because no one you know Superman, we don't know if he exists or not. Okay. Um, and I'll leave it at that, just because the joke is kind of funnier than not. Um, that uh, throwing the baseball into orbit, because no one can do it, doesn't mean it can't be done. And it can't be taxed. Right. But, at the same token, until somebody actually does it, it's not going to be banned. Oh, okay. You have to look at it that way. So people have tried to make rockets in their backyards. Yes, Mine? people yeah. do. They yeah. have rocket. They have rocket con. They have a rocket tree contest that you can build it at home. I mean, well, I don't. Mean, I don't mean model rockets per se. I mean actual rockets. Well, in this contest, I saw somebody who was actually hitting ten, fifteen thousand feet, looking for thirty thousand feet with their model rocket. Oh, whoa. I, you know, that what we call a model rocket contest, or we call that a real rocket. You know, mm -hmm. that's some serious lift. So for a home built rocket, you know, for something in your in your basement, you know. 
Yeah. Well, now that we're talking about aerial endeavors, um, mm-hmm. I know there's been a lot of hubbub lately about uh, whether or not it's humane to shoot uh, animals from a helicopter or uh, other planes. I guess this was really big with the whole, you know, people who hate Sarah Palin kind of thing crowd because they're like, well, she hates she hates animals and she's not pro-life because she shoots a gun out an airplane and they can't really, you know, fight back. Uh, all I got to say about Sarah Palin lives in the wilderness yeah. of Alaska where there yeah. are more bears than there are people. Okay, let's 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 get down to some survival facts here you know if a bear is attacking me in alaska i don't have much recourse there isn't a local somebody that's going to come out and actually save me so i better be able to kill that bear okay but i guess the the, uh popular opinion or not so much the popular opinion but the belief that people think at least that this may be an act of sportsmanship. I mean, it, it, if you're trying to control a population of any kind of animals, yeah. is it really sport at that point, or is it just, you know, a job that you got to do? You have to look at it in two ways. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we can turn it into a sport by selling li- hunting licenses. And tickets. And tickets, and make money. Yeah. Which is a form of passive taxation. Which, hey, yeah. I agree with. Hey, you know, if I got to control the population, I got to either pay some union worker to go out and do it, or mm-hmm. I can sell a hunting license and pay some, and have some taxpayer do it. The price of the license, I can make money on it, or I can lose money on. It. Okay. Uh, passive taxation works in that representation very well. I basically get people to pay me to do a job that I would have to pay somebody to do so i can either make it a sport i can make it a a union job which i can make it a sport that'll make me money or i can make it a union job that'll lose me money what do you do i need a business degree to say which way i want to go on this I can see why Alaska does this. It okay. makes it a sport. It only makes sense. Well, it's also a safety issue. Right, and it's a, it's a strong safety issue. I need to slow the population down in my in my populated areas. In which case, Alaska is only populated along the, that this coastal corridor. For the most part, it's real wilderness. Okay. Um, not well, like. Imagine for a moment moment that you weren't living in a mommy state. Right. Okay. And that you have some sort of past problem on your property, Mm -hmm. like gophers or uh, foxes or coyotes. Oh, wait a minute. I I live in a mommy state and I have a coyote problem. What are you talking about? (laughs) Well, the difference is... The government will tell you, the local government will tell you what you can and can't kill. Right. Whereas if you've got a problem on your property, shouldn't it be your decision whether or not you can kill them? Well, yeah, that's what they make buckshot for. Um, okay. 
Okay, and that's what they make a 12-gauge shotgun for. So you can make that decision. Okay? And yes, I do believe in defending my property means animals, too. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I don't have to go out and hunt them to extinction. But, hey, I need to hunt a polar bear down. I need to hunt a polar bear. But something like that wouldn't fly so much in Cambridge, for example. Yeah, but they don't have, well, you know, I'm in Waltham, a city almost next to Cambridge, and we have a coyote. Um, you may have the problem, but, you know, should you have the right to get rid of the problem on your own terms? I, I agree. It would be easier to get rid of the problem. This is the, the interesting thing. Because I live in a mommy state and I live in a heavily populated community, we've had to take the other approach and pay someone a union job to yeah. uh, to eliminate these coyotes when they become too much of a danger to the population. I, you know, and I, I've seen animal control have to come out and do that. Uh, did it a few years ago. They're back. And they're back in stronger numbers, and they're back in a bigger den. Uh, animal control. Are you talking doesn't... about the animal control workers, or are you talking about the animals? The animals. Oh. So the animal control worker, though, did his job, didn't solve the problem. So uh, instead, you know, we can solve the problem by selective hunting. Um, so. Again, you're still talking about the animals. Yeah. Not to control people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Okay. Which I did see something interesting. Do you even just get off side topic the other day? I actually saw a turkey fly yesterday. Really? Yeah. Saw him Was run across the ground. What? Was it on Beacon Hill? No, no, no. <laughs> no. It was, on, it was in my neighborhood. A real turkey. Wild turkey. I saw get a running start, flap its wings. Did he answer to his name Frank? Uh, I thought it was Mian, but, um, oh. <laughs> I thought he answered his answer to Marty, but, uh, okay. um, right, turkey, go on. So anyways, this is a real turkey. I was shocked. I didn't think turkeys could fly or they had lost their basic ability to fly. This thing was actually flying into a tree and looked like it was going to try to pounce on something. <laughs> Well, you know, actually, when I had a, a gig in Chelmsford, uh, yeah. they there were a, a ton of wild turkeys just roaming the parking lots often. Oh, yeah. And you're not supposed to feed them. You're not supposed to approach them. But they approach you. <laughs> they approach you. <laughs> yeah, actually, as I work in Chelmsford now, um, I see those turkeys around a lot. Yeah. And, you know, hey. Nature's coming back, you know. Uh, you know, I thought turkeys were supposed to be extinct by now. You know, with liberals, you know. Oh no, save the turkeys! You know, wild turkeys are coming back and living amongst us with little fear. Uh, and they're looking too. I know. They they are like these big round things with little feet. Yeah. Oh, the <laughs> other thing I noticed is, did you ever notice that? Uh, that uh, the turkey believes in the yeah uh, the holy uh, covenant of plural marriage. No, I did not know that. Uh, I noticed the turkeys in Chelmsford. There's one male and two females wandering around. Turkeys oh. in my neighborhood. One male and two females wandering around. 
I just wanted to bring that up. Turkey <laughs> believes in the holy covenant of plural marriage. Um, you know, I, we, no, I don't want to know how you could tell whether or not they were male or female or why. Um, you can. The the head actually is slightly different on the. Good to um, know. So you can tell it's two females and a male. Um, but you know, it's just kind of interesting to realize that. Which one? Which ones were doing the most squawking? Uh, <laughs> not sure. I I didn't pay that much attention to them. I was just noticing the plural. Uh, I. All right. <laughs> I think we should uh, we should uh, move on to some other things here. Sure. Um. Okay. I did want to bring back this segment on uh, things that are interesting in the news. This is more a segment that we bring up a couple of topics uh, we discuss quickly, and then we're asking our listeners to write in or send in some sort of message that, hey, I've seen something like this, or, you know, this is my experience on this. Uh, one of them that we just thought was quite amusing, or at least I thought was quite amusing, uh, that I noticed on foxnews.com was... Uh, Anger after cheerleader stage mock execution at pep rally. Now, I know I read this article and I thought it was rather <laughs> kind of funny um, that cheerleaders decided to stage a mock execution. Um, have you had a chance to read this? I have not. Uh, where, where exactly was this? It was in um, school in Natch Naco. Nacog Doches, Texas. Really? Nacog Doches High School, Texas. I actually might know someone from there. Nacadoches or something? Yeah. Yeah, I might know someone from there. Well, <laughs> if you know someone from there, we need to get them on the line and ask them some questions about this because this is just totally amusing. Okay. Um, and if we have any listens from Nac- listeners from Nacadoches, Texas, please. Uh, right in on what you think about this, but it's kind of interesting to see cheerleaders uh, coming up with something like this. You know, a lot of websites now will, will actually, they'll have a long article, and then they'll have like three or four points that's like a, like a an outline in case you're, you know, don't have the time to read it, or just right. don't have the brains to read it, right. and the, the key issues that should come up here are Texas guns cheerleaders. Right. That's that's the quick summary, just in case you needed it. Yeah. Um. So I just thought I'd bring that up. Anybody who wants to have any comments, uh, please feel free to comment. Um. And another one that I thought was just totally funny was uh, I guess some guy decided to uh, swim naked in the moat of the Imperial Palace in Tokyo. <laughs> I just thought it was funny, and I thought this would be another great discussion topic um, to have a, any of our listeners chime in on, uh, call in about, have you seen naked guys running around in stadiums, uh, and especially, you know, how they now cut off, yeah, don't allow to show it anymore, the guy running around on the field. Uh, I want to hear any stories you have about somebody doing something stupid, being naked. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to hear about that, but that's all you. 
I don't know. I, I guess I don't really want to hear about it as much as I just want to hear some stupid stories about it and uh, just to bring up some discussion points for the... the... Okay. <laughs> um, that's all about I, all of what I had for uh, tonight. Do you have anything else you want to discuss? or? Not really. No, I think I'm done. All right. Done here. If you have any comments about tonight's podcast, please uh, email them to podcast at lordclark.com or visit us at our forums at lordclark.com slash podcast slash lordclarkandfriends and click on the forum link and join our forums and write your comments. And thank you for listening.